know me. My name is Heath. I am the lead pastor here at Reach. And today I'm going to preach a sermon on a name that I'm probably going to mispronounce. You will too, unless you hear it a thousand times. I think I got it though. On somebody that you've probably never heard a sermon on, because I've never preached a sermon on this guy. But we're reading through Hebrews, and um, I got to Hebrews 7, and there's a character that is mentioned in reference to Jesus that just kind of stirred something in me. So I spent a fair amount of time researching. And so here's my one thing that I want you to walk walk away with today, is that Jesus is our priest forever which will make sense as we get through Hebrews um, chapter 7. But the interesting thing here is I think sometimes as we're reading through our Bibles and sometimes as we're looking at um, our reading plan, as we read through things and we, we see these obscure, and they're not obscure, but they feel obscure things that we lose their meaning because we don't understand them. And so what I want to do this morning is convince you that if it's in the Word of God, it is important for us. Sometimes we just have to dig a little bit deeper to understand what's actually going on. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at this character, uh, this God that's referenced. And literally, he's referenced for about 10 verses in Genesis and then one verse in Psalms 104. He has just mentioned. But the writer of Hebrews mentions him, uh, I think, uh, beginning in 6, and then they talk about him in 7. And the thing that I want you to understand is that the beauty of all that seems obscure in the Word of God is that every single bit of it is pointing to Jesus, which is what's happening through this. And what what brings um, clarity to it is understanding that it's pointing to this figure, to this person, to the Savior that we get to worship. The tension that we sometimes feel is that, is this important? It's not one of the verses. You're probably not going to get one of those fancy, if you've got the Bible app and you pull up those pre-done, beautiful, like iron sharpens iron. I don't know if somebody saw those posted the other day. It was the verse of the day and you post the picture. There's not going to be a picture with McKeeseldick um, in there. Like you're not going to name your child after this man. I mean, you might, but you'll call him male, I'm sure, or his friends will. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for every bit of it. And Lord, you, you told us, you told your disciples, which means you're telling us in John 17, that you, you will give us understanding of your word. And so this morning, I pray that. I pray as we read through um, Hebrews 7, that you wouldn't let the obscurity of what's going on just slide by without seeing the importance of what this figure is saying about your son. And so, Lord, I pray that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts today as we see and experience your word as it affects us. And I pray that we would understand you as our forever priest, that we would understand you as our king and our savior. We would understand you as our intercessor beside the father right now praying For this moment that we would be stirred and affected by you and your sacrifice. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. 
So before I get into Hebrews 7, I, I've got to at least under, give a little understanding of the, the priestly system because I, don't, I think it's not something that we understand the sacrificial system because we, we've not been a part of it. But the way God set up is, is that after the fall, there, there was this separation and something needed to be done with this separation from us and God. And this, the wrath of God that comes from the sin that we enter into on a daily basis. So he set up this priestly system through this guy named Levi, this family lineage. And all the priests from that point on were going to be from his lineage. They were going to be in that process. And all the priests were going to have a position for as long as they lived. And when they died, another priest would step into the role. And that was the system. And they were the ones that you would come to to help get right with God. They would be the ones that would take your sacrifice, that would enter into the presence of the Lord and would do all the things necessary, at least in this flawed system. Flawed because we couldn't perfect it. We, we couldn't get out what God wanted us to get out of it. But they were the ones that were doing the thing. So as we're talking about this priestly role, you have to understand that the book of Hebrews was written to a people of God, the Hebrews. It was written to the Jews who understood the sacrificial system that have mostly given their life to live inside of these this world. Waiting for the Messiah to come, waiting for the king to arrive again, waiting for the freedom from the tyranny of the Romans. And and here they are living in this world, still looking for the Savior. And some, which Hebrews is written to, are for the people of God that had chosen Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but are struggling in the reality that the world they live in is difficult. The world that they live in is um, toxic to them because they were literally being persecuted, thrown into jail. They were losing their lives. They were losing their property. And the book of Hebrews is written to a people that was saying, written to them to tell them Jesus is worth everything. Everything that you may lose, everything that may be taken from you, if you have Jesus, you have more than that can be removed from you. And so he's stirring their affection to Jesus. And so this Melchizedek character is someone that they would understand because it was in their Torah. It was in their Bible. It was in their their understanding because they remembered the encounter that Abraham had with this priest before Levi came into the picture, before the sacrificial system came in, there was this priest and there's these few comments. So as we read through, there's there's 24 verses. I'm getting to verse 25 and that's where I'm going to land on and 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 go to. But verses one through 24, you have to understand he's setting up this understanding that Jesus is a representation, actually, Melchizedek is a representation of Jesus. He is the picture that God has given you, and he's pointing the people back to this figure so that when he gets to verse 25, it has meaning. So let's go. And I'm going to go through this fairly quick. I'm going to interject a few things, and then we're going to camp out on 25 um, and see what God's going to do. So in verse 1, chapter 7, it says, For this Melchizedek, 
king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So if you remember the story, Abraham had been called by God to go into a new land to to be the father of God's people. He took his nephew Lot with him and his nephew was kidnapped by these kings. And Abraham went after them and, and slaughtered them. And on his way back in, with, with victory at his heels and, and spoils of war with him, he comes in and he gets greeted by Melchizedek. He gets greeted by the priest. Met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed them. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation, his name, King of Righteousness. And then he was also King of Salem, which is prior um, to Jerusalem being Jerusalem, it was Salem. And so that literally means the King of Salem means that he is the King of Peace. Verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continued as priest forever. And this, it, it seems like, oh my gosh, this is confusing. It gets more confusing. I'm going to try to bring some understanding to it. It's going to be okay. Verse 4, it says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spools. He, he's setting up, hey guys, guys. Because they're all, you know, the people that he's speaking to, the Jews who had set themselves apart and entered into this priestly system, there was no messing with Abraham. I don't know if you remember the conversations that Jesus had with some of the Pharisees when they were like, we are children of Abraham. I'm not sure whose child you are. Because Abraham is the patriarch. Abraham is the beginning of everything. So he's cycling this back to what they would understand. In verse 5 it says, And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. He's setting this Melchizedek above Levi, which we don't really understand this, but Levi is inside of Abraham because Levi hasn't been born yet, right? And so he's setting this place in that, that it was their role to receive tithe from the people. It was their role, role to receive from other people because they were lifted up by God. And God is letting this, the, the word be known that they're, they, they're preeminent of Levi because Abraham in his way submitted to them, paid his tenth to them. Uh, let me go back to five and read it in its entirety. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, though these also are descendants of Abraham. Verse six, it says, but this man who does not have his descendants from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Verse 8, it says, In the one case, tithes are received by mortal man, but on the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. 
One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithe, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. In verse 11, so he's setting up. Hey, you've got to understand because, remember, Hebrews is lifting Jesus up. And I know you're thinking, well, we don't, we're not in the sacrificial system. We're not Jewish by descent, like the, or maybe you are, but most of us aren't. What does this matter? It matters. We'll get there. Verse 11, it says, Now if perfection has been made obtainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise from the order of Melchizedek. Because he's saying, look, why do we need another if you gave us the priesthood that is presenting us in the righteousness of God? What would we need another? Because he's going to go into that it is a flawed system that didn't work. It says, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So there's something that's changing here. So they've been so in this system of going, okay, we know what it works. We know how it works in us. We do this. We do that. We bring the pigeon. We bring the sheep. We, we do this thing and we work this system. Well, the system was flawed. Verse 13, it says, for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it for it is evident that our Lord was descendant from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priest. Verse 15. Says this becomes even more evident when another priest arise in the likeness of Melchizedek, who was who has become priest not on the basis of legal requirement. Remember, they were born into the job, and if you read the Old Testament, you figure out that a lot of them didn't do the job very well. Um, even from the sons of Aaron from the beginning. I mean, they were, they were, there was trouble at the beginning. The problem is, is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you are, if you have children in here, I apologize if this is upset you, but they're not born Christian. They, like you, will have to choose Jesus as Lord and Savior and serve and surrender the King. The problem is, is if you're going from child to child and you're just giving them the royal priesthood, there's going to be Danger in that. It says not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him. You are priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. The law didn't work. I don't know if you knew this. If you grew up in church, giving you rules doesn't work. Have children. Give them rules. They break them. They, it's almost like now there is a new task at hand. We're the same way. We just hide it. 
So if, we, if I gave you a list of, hey, if you do, which God's given us that list, go to the Ten Commandments and, and do these things, then you'll be okay. The problem is, is you cannot do those things. You can hide it from other people so that it seems like you're doing those things perfectly. But the problem is, is our heart, who's deceitful above all, will hide the little greed, the little lust, the little you know, anger. You may not ever present it outwardly, but it's in ours. And this is why Jesus, in understanding how they listen and obey, like we're obeying the law, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. Because we've not committed adultery, we've not murdered anyone. He was like, well, if you look lustfully at someone, then you've committed adultery. And if you've been angry at someone, then you've committed murder. So that, I don't know about you, if you drive a car, if you live, if you go outside, you've been angry at someone at some point. I mean, try to go into Wilmington this weekend. Go, go this afternoon, see how angry you get when the bridge is closed. You're like, I'm not going to murder you, but I want to. It doesn't work. The law made nothing perfect. And the problem is, is we're not above this. You may go, oh, thank God we're not in that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The problem is, is we are religious by nature. We want the same rule system that they wanted. They are like, just give me the rules and I'll obey them to the best of my ability. When the whole time God is telling them, I want to give you something better. I want to give you something better. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God, which is the issue. Every single one of us who don't have Jesus as our coverer are separated from the love of God by the wrath of God because of our own sin, period. There's no entrance in. There's no, if I do, you know, like, and I know we have this conversation. We don't have this conversation, but we think this way sometimes. My good outweighs the bad. The problem is, is that if there's any bad in the other category, you've lost. Her perfection is what he's looking for, which none of us in this room, including me. I know sometimes we look up front and we go, man, he must have it all together. He's got a microphone. He planted a church. Just get to know me. You will realize I'm flawed and in desperate need of Jesus, just like you, which is beautiful as we're leading up to verse 25, because this is where we're going. Verse 20, it says, and it is not without oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, just meaning they, oh, you're the son. Okay, you're the eldest priest. There you go. Verse 21, it says, but this one was made a priest with a oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest forever. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Covenants. I know we talk about them usually around marriage, but covenants aren't contracts. Covenants are forever. And when you're talking about a better covenant... We want that. And here we go in 23. It says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, meaning they died. Someone else took their place. Verse 24. But he holds his priesthood permanently. 
because he continues forever. Talking about Jesus. Look at this. This is where we're going. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Hear this. Through him. Referring to Jesus. Since he always lives to make intercessions for them. And I know I mentioned this last week, but our, our salvation is not a date. If you're not saved because of the day that you said yes to Jesus, you're saved because you are connected to a living God. Who right now, and we're going to talk about other verses, right now is interceding To the Father, to you, because there's something about you, there's some sin in you that is separating you from the Father, but you have a Jesus that is beside the Father saying, that's mine. He's mine. She's mine. Look, I'm telling you, like you can beat yourself up about what you did wrong, and there's enough. There's no other. I haven't met many people that aren't liars that just feel like, man, I do everything perfectly. Like they, they don't they don't sweat like, oh, I wish I'd have done that better. Or I wish I would have, you know, have kids and you'd be like, man, I wish that I'd had that conversation and it went different. All of us could benefit from this reality of understanding that right now and ongoing, Jesus is presently interceding for his children. And I love the picture. If you go back, and I know I've talked about Peter a lot. I love Peter because Peter was a screw-up. He got a lot of things wrong, but Jesus kept pulling him back. And you know what he said to him prior to his denial? He said, Peter, Satan has asked to shift you like wheat. I'd have been like, I mean, because they were boys. Like, I don't know if I could say Jesus is my boy, but, you know, it's, you know, whatever. They were. I mean, they were hanging out. He was one of his three. I'd be like, Jesus, like, don't just pray for me. Like, go punch Satan in the face. Say, no, Satan. But he didn't. What did he say? He said, but I prayed for you. And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. You know why he knew that? He knew what Peter was going to do. He knew where Peter was going. He knew that he would turn. So his prayers, in my opinion, the faith that Peter has and displays after the resurrection are a gift from the Father through the Son. Because of that prayer. And right now, if you feel like your world's falling apart, it is Jesus who we connect to. I love this. It, it says our, or not it says, but I, I'm saying our future salvation depends on the active work of Christ forever and ever active. I don't know if you know this word, but there's a word that's called sanctification. It's this process of you becoming like Christ and it will continue until the day you die, no matter how old you are. And it's Christ working in you to shape you and mold you. And you may not be where you want to be, but you've got to realize where you came from and where you're going. Today, I am being saved by the eternal intercession of Jesus in heaven. Look at this in Romans 8. These were two other parts that talk about this. Romans 8, it says in verse 34 through 39, it says, who is to condemn? 
Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or darkness or sorry, well, darkness, too, if you're afraid of the dark danger or the sword, as it is written for the say for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Verse 37, one of my favorite life verses. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us more than conquerors. Verse 38, it says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You notice in the verse 25 of Hebrews, it says, for those who draw near to God through him, which is the key. We don't have direct access to the Father without Jesus. We don't get to, even after salvation, we don't get to just, hey, Dad. We approach the Father through Jesus. We get access to him, don't get me wrong, but we get access to him through Jesus. We're powerful and more than conquerors through him who loves us, who is presently now praying, interceding for us. First John two, verse one, it says, my little children, I've written these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, an advocate. Like the next time you sin, don't be like, oh, my gosh, I've sinned. Go and oh, my gosh, I have an advocate with the father right now who's saying, oh, I'm working. I'm working on that one. I'm working on that one. And so my question for all of this is, so what? You may listen to his name on an audio recording of a Bible app where they pronounce his name correctly. Don't judge me later. I tried, and I kept it consistent. That's a rule. Like, if you say it one way, just keep saying it that way and act like you know. <laughs> we will always need Jesus. Always. Wasn't a, it wasn't a then thing. It wasn't a, a, the day and night. For me, it was July 1994. It wasn't just that I just need Jesus, Jesus in July of 1994. I need Jesus right now. And as a child, as his child, you will always need to be drawing near. There is a process for us. Like we don't just get to, oh, thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Our salvation comes for us drawing near. We're not earning our salvation by drawing near, but we're getting what we need from the Father as we draw near to the Father. And actually, the scripture says that as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. So I think sometimes our separation, our feeling of separation is because we're unwilling to move towards him. We're unwilling to release ourselves from where we're at and say, I need you. There's this picture. I'm going to close with this. Worship team, y'all can come on up. There's this picture that I got. My, my dad... Um, 
had uh, afibrillation, which means your heart gets out of rhythm. There's, it gets wacky. The electrical impulses in your heart stop doing what they're supposed to do, and, and your heart races or goes real low, and it, it, was, a, it was a horrible year for him. He had um, he got shocked a couple of times to try to get back in rhythm. It did not work, and then at the end of that year, he went to Duke, and he had this thing called an ablation where they literally go inside of your heart, and they, they cauterize a ring around all the main... Um, arteries or whatever, channels going into your heart because it actually comes from outside and inside and it messes up the rhythm. And so I I want to finish with this, is that when you become a child of God, when you say yes to Jesus, God gives you a pacemaker. My dad doesn't have a pacemaker, but he gives you a pacemaker. And the pacemaker recognizes when your heart gets out of rhythm and it it shocks it back into rhythm. And and I believe that this is what God does for us. Because he wants us in rhythm. He wants us in this place that we're understanding in humility that we need him constantly. And you've, you've believed a lie if you don't feel that way. You've believed a lie about something if you don't feel that you need Jesus just as much now as you did the day you said yes to him. God wants to bring you back into rhythm. God wants to stir your affection to the forever priest. That we have access to right now. The, the beauty of us sitting in this the senior center. This isn't our building. This isn't a, you know a church. This isn't you know like the tabernacle that they erected. That you know the presence of God came into because it was the building. This is the presence of God is here because of His temple, which is us. And the presence of God wants to restart some hearts. He wants to shock other hearts into rhythm of going, you need me. I think our desperation, I think sometimes our desperation of what we need pushes us. And I, I, just, I, I just think and believe this morning that God is using this, his words, to stir something in you, to start that heartbeat Again. And some, like Ezekiel says, have hearts of stone. He was talking about Jesus, that he was going to come and he was going to remove those hearts of stone. And he was going to put a heart of flesh so that you can love God and obey him. You cannot do those two things without him. And so as we go into worship, as we close out our service, we have a priest that lives forever. We have a, a priest that is with the Father right now. We don't have to bring our animals into sacrifice to be cleansed of our sin. We have a priest that is interceding with the Father, and he is the Father's son. He's not, he wasn't given that position because of his birthright. He had that position from the beginning, forever. And right now we have access to him. The reason why our songs can be more powerful is not necessarily because we sing better. I'll sit up front so you don't hear me. I make sure this pack is off always. I don't want to ruin your day. 
But we get to sing because we understand that the God that we're singing to is right now beside the Father covering you in prayer. Because He wants your heartbeat to beat in rhythm with His. That's what made Jesus different from everyone else. Not only was He God, but He was in rhythm with the Father. Always. He said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I hear the Father saying to do. This is where He wants us. He wants us in that rhythm. And so what I encourage you to do as we close, as we worship, ask. God, where am I out of rhythm? Where am I refusing to draw near to You? Where has my sin caused me to back away from a loving Gracious Father who wants to free you. For the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Embrace a freedom that your Father offers you now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that any of us in this room have opportunity to even rejoice in our salvation because of your finished, completed work on the cross. And this morning, as you... Pull us, draw us back to your loving grace. I pray that we would be children that are willing and able because of you to chase you down for every single thing that you've called us to. And Lord, for those that have never experienced your life, Lord, I pray that you would do what only you could do right now as we worship, that you would put a call and a desire in their heart that they have to respond. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are priests forever. We don't look for others to do what you came to do. We don't look to others. We look to you. And right now, I pray that you would settle that in us as we worship you, our Savior, our King, our hope and our joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.